Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Hello, friends. Patreon.com forward slash Ost True Crime Pod. In case you don't know, that's how you can get your name read out on the front bit here. But that's not all you get. You get an extra episode every month, at least an extra episode. We've dropped a few bits and pieces this last week, actually, because I had a few things up my sleeve. And also we get to have conversations very much more easily with our patrons. At the moment, I'm asking a question, which is how many of our patrons are aspiring podcasters or true crime writers? Would there be any value in offering some kind of, uh, you know, mentorship or something like that through Patreon. So that's the question I'm asking at the moment. Okay, on with the show.
we went to have our last dinner all together because we were about to fly out and we're sitting there having, they had like peanut butter on toast and stuff, really Australian stuff. And next minute we were surrounded by military police with their big guns drawn. So they marched us all to the police station and separated us. I got told, you're going to the airport to fly back to Australia, but we're keeping the two men. So I never saw them, that was it. One of our favourite things is being contacted by listeners of Australian True Crime who tell us that they have true crime stories of their own. And today's guest, Julie, is one such person. Julie brings us a story from 1970s suburban Australia. I guarantee you'll find yourself thinking at some stage, if not repeatedly, this should be a movie. It's got so much nostalgic charm, it's got romance, it's got adventure, and it's got a wonderful surprise twist at the end, which I definitely did not see coming. I can almost guarantee that after listening to this episode, Julie will be the loveliest convicted international drug trafficker you have ever known. She's definitely top three for me. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. We started this conversation by asking Julie to describe herself to us as she was when she was a teenager, when her criminal career began. I was a very sweet, innocent young girl. Never, never been in trouble, never wagged school. Just a very suburban young girl. Still at school because without... Oh, I was going to say without giving your age away, but the story will <laughs> give your age away. But I'm going to say you're roughly, I think, probably about the age of my mum. 66. Okay, yes. Yep. And certainly my mum left school uh, when she was about 15 and she was working. Yeah. I left when I was 13, hated school, absolutely hated it. So I had to get permission off the education department to leave at 13. I then went to a business college for a year and learned how to type and shorthand and do all that sort of stuff and then went out to the world. So I was probably 14, 15. Was this your first travelling experience? It was. I had never left Australia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> When, in 1970, this fateful conversation yes. you and some friends had, <laughs> sitting around, yes. just chatting about the price of marijuana, yep. as you do. As you do. Tell us what, what happened during that conversation. Who was um, there? Where were you? Oh, look, there would have been myself, my boyfriend, a couple of other mates who it was a house that we lived in in Mooney Ponds, and we were just discussing, and someone said, oh, We'll just get a boat and sail over somewhere and buy heaps of marijuana and sail it back. That sounded really easy. <laughs> Sounds like a teenage dream. Yes. Because yeah. why was was marijuana expensive? Did you oh, think no. it was well, well back compared to now? No, but back then, it, you know, for us who probably weren't or working at that stage, mm. um, you thought it was too we much. Just thought it was a really good idea. <laughs> this is bullshit. Paying all this for our <laughs> marijuana, get a boat. Yeah. But then we realised we'd have to know how to navigate a boat. And buy a boat, and buy I a guess. Boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that sort of became, oh, not good. So there was a, a couple of other people that were on the, friends who were on the peripheral and weren't smokers. And I, I look, I don't really recall how, because we sort of tried to keep it pretty close. 
and one of the guys on the peripheral who wouldn't even come into the house because we were smoking. He said, oh, no, I'm not going in there. <laughs> Straighty. So I thought it, everyone smoked back then. Yeah. Well, so did I. You yeah. know, he was a real ladies' man, fast cars. And one day at the front door, because that's as close as he would come, he said, oh, look, I know a pilot. Would that be any use? And we sort of went, oh, that might be a bit easier. So we discussed it and he said it, He said he's like my uncle. So off he went. He supposedly worked with him. So oh, yeah, yeah, this guy yeah, approached him and he's willing to do. So we came up with a, a plan that he would be the pilot. We would hire a small plane, fly over to Sumatra and buy a whole lot of marijuana and stick it in the plane and fly home. From Melbourne? From Melbourne, yes. I mean, that's oh, not... They were going to island hop. So, but I mean, you got to get over this really big island yeah. first. <laughs> that was all just little, you know. It's like seven hours. Anyone who's been to Bali knows that even in a, in a Qantas plane, it's seven hours to get over just Australia. Um, so I think they were going to go from Mel- Melbourne to Timor because then uh, they didn't have all the stuff that they've got now, like radar and all that sort of stuff. Right. So you could fly into a lot of these little islands without being detected. Right. That was the theory anyway. (laughs) And then from Timor to Bali and then from Bali to Medan and then Medan up to Sumatra. For a bunch of teenage potheads who'd never (laughs) travelled, you were pretty cluey. Yeah, so none of us had ever been outside Australia. We were all just surfy crew from down the coast. and So who knew all this stuff? Who's plotting the course and was it the uncle or...? No, no, so... Probably the the main guys. I oh, look. I was just you know. I I happened to be there because I was one of the fellas' girlfriends. So I don't really recall how I actually you know got in there. But I you was were too there. stoned. Let's be yeah, honest. Probably. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Good point. It's... Jesus, Julie. <laughs> I sort of feel like back then, as you said, they didn't have all the kind of detection things. No. Like it's quite plausible. That you could do that because remember there was that Mr. Asia drug syndicate. Yes. Well, they, this was were they bringing the... back, yeah, those Buddha sticks and stuff yep. and that's how they were Correct. making heaps and of cash. And we also had a friend, a, a young lady, who had travelled the world and every time she came back she either came back pregnant and it was strapped to her belly oh. or she came back as a young schoolgirl because she was really sweet and innocent and she just she was on her body was just taped just everywhere. It was always smoke. It was never powder. So it was probably through her information that we thought, hmm, if she can do this. Well. Yeah. So that's where we got it. We got our contact in Sumatra off her. That's how we knew where to go. Okay. And she was just coming through commercial airports. Yep. So you were just gonna... rocking on through, which was really easy back then. Were you aware of the heavy penalties no. in Asia? No. No. Uh, no, because we're talking Bali here. No, we weren't. No, that, we're oblivious, totally oblivious. Well, I was anyway. <laughs> I think it even got discussed. And again, this is the kind of idea that teenagers have. Did you really think it was going to happen from the beginning? Did you? Yep. Really? <laughs> well, I was very sweet, young and naive. <laughs> yeah, and you really thought, yeah, we're really honestly going to do this. this. And yeah. this was going to be stuff for all of you just to smoke. It wasn't yeah. going to be like to sell. Oh, well, there was but there was could. a lot of it. So, you know, that yeah. was probably an idea as well yeah. because there was a tonne. A tonne. A literal tonne or you? Yep. Oh. A literal tonne. Yep, or yeah. a tonne. 
what happened then? When did it actually... So the, the friend went to this pilot who turned out to be not like an uncle at all, but we all obviously found this out later. And this bloke's gone, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Obviously we're going to pay him because he's going to be doing something illegal. What do you mean by not like an uncle at all? He was sort of like a work colleague, but very loosely like a work colleague. <laughs> so this guy was a panel beater and this guy used to bring his trucks in to get panel beated and he noticed that he had wings on his lapel. Right. As in, because when you're a pilot, you've yeah. got flying time, you can mm. get little wings, So apparently. you're saying they didn't even know each other very Basically, well. No. <laughs> <laughs> not only were they not related, no. they didn't even know each yeah. other very so well. So we, we found out this all later. So he's got, oh, yeah, I can do that. So he came and had a meeting with us and we put the plan to him, a very basic, and he decided in his wisdom that, no, this was not a good idea, so he went straight to the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which was what it was called back then. No way! Yep, didn't even go to the police, he just went straight there. And they said, oh, oh, great idea, you keep doing what you're doing. And they wanted us to get over there, buy it, bring it back and bust us because we'd probably still be locked up. It's a bit like the Bali... Um, the Bali Nine. nine. They yeah, still do this. The, yes. the uncle yeah, yeah. went to the feds yeah. to try and get yes. them to stop it and yeah. they let him go. Yep. Yes. Oh, God. If it was in America, it'd be entrapment. Yes. Because you can't help people commit crimes and not no. get into trouble. But that's what they did. So we wouldn't oh. have got out the country we wouldn't have got our passports, we wouldn't have got our visas. So this was all, they were two steps in front of us, so they put the whole thing in because we were oblivious. We didn't know how to get passports or visas. Or I can remember going to buy the airline tickets and we, we bought them off of a federal narcotics bloke sitting behind the desk. So it all can't, you know, when you went finally thought about it, that's what that bloke was and that's what that person was. <laughs> Oh, no. So they just fed us all the way and spent lots of money too, mind you, to do all this. How old were you? Um, 19 by then. 19. I turned 20 and then I turned 21 when I was in Winlayton. And this is in Winlayton Girls' Home. Oh, God. Which only goes from 14 to 18. Mm. So The problem with this whole thing that we learnt through the Bali Nine is Doing what you think is the right thing in in Scott Rush's dad's case of trying to stop your son committing a crime and going to the authorities here in Australia is that potentially you can get done in Indonesia where the penalties are so much worse and can be death. Yep, because they were supposed to let them come home as well. Yes. And that's what they were supposed to do to us, but they went, oh, no, we're going to step in here because we want some of this limelight. Right. So, So you got all the way to, did you get all the way to Sumatra? Yeah, 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 Tom and I, were f- we went and... Did you get the gear? Yeah, went up in the mountains and bought it off this farmer and he came over the mountains on donkey backs in big sacks and... <laughs> what was it like going up the mountain? Like, what was it like? You've never been out never, of Australia. That, that, was, that was pretty eye-opening. That was amazing because it's the most beautiful country, Sumatra. Um, but we, again, we had Interpol police. We had Interpol travel, like, they were literally two steps behind us. Yeah, so but at this a... stage, it's still the best holiday of oh, your life. Yeah, I mean, at this exactly. stage, you're yeah. still a 19-year-old from Coburg who's never been out of Australia. It must have been amazing. Yep. So it was only supposed to be two weeks, and so my parents didn't know I'd even left the country, obviously, <laughs> let alone all the other fellas' parents. 
Um, so two weeks came up and I thought, oh, they're going to start wondering where I am because I was really close to my parents. Um, and then it turned out that the pilot couldn't fly very much. So he only had a certain amount of hours up, so he could only fly a certain distance. So the federal narcs went, oh, God. So then they had to find another pilot, which none of us knew, and had to introduce him to the blokes back here. So they sort of starting to get a bit, you know, what's going on? So they had to introduce him to the whole story. Yes. This whole... And he's just a normal... I don't even know where they got him from, but he was just a normal person. I don't know. Did you know how he got introduced into the circle, like into the group? No, because I was still in Samarra. Of course, yeah. Yeah, Mm. yeah. So he's done... And then I said, look, I've got to go back home because everyone's going to start going, oh, I wonder where I am. So the plane never made it up to Sumatra. It just stayed on the tarmac at Bali because the Indonesian cops went, uh, 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 this ain't happening. So by the time... So I went back to Bali. Two of my partner stayed up there with the hooter and then the other guy flew up to meet him. I think we met in Medan and we were in this huge ultra-modern motel that we're the only people in. There was no one else there. Going, it's really empty. <laughs> Duh. Um, so they emptied it so we would just have total control. So they used to have little holes through the walls so they took photos of us and stuff. Did they really? I've, obviously I found out this later. They needed to monitor. Everything. But you had the pool to yourself. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. And then I made it back to Bali, even got befriended by a couple of blokes who I thought would fellow travellers and thought, oh, they took me out for dinner. Well, they turned out to be narcotics agents as well. As I said, I was very naive. And then Bali, was it was just Kuta. That was like one stretch of a few cafes in mm-hmm. um, and the Bali Beach Hotel, which was the only big motel. Um, that's where the two pilots were staying. So I went there, stayed with them for a night. I'm not sure why I did that. The other two made it down from Sumatra to Bali with the hoot. I don't don't even recall how they did that um, because it wasn't obviously on the plane because the plane was still on the tarmac. So, yeah, don't know, don't remember. But by the time we got busted in Bali, there wasn't a ton anymore. The Indonesian police had said, well, we'll just... Because they were obviously very corrupt back in those days. Uh, we'll just have most of this and you can have this little bit. Uh, uh, yeah. Do you remember the raid? Do you remember the yeah, moment? Yeah, we were sitting, my partner and I were ready to fly home, so we were just coming home on a commercial flight. The, the hooter was in Bali and that was going to get loaded on the plane. Um, the two pilots still stayed at the Bali, Bali Beach, I think it was called, and then we went and checked into a little Lozman, just a local little, you know, bungalows, and we went to have our last dinner all together because we were about to fly out and we're sitting there having, they had like peanut butter on toast and stuff, really Australian stuff. (laughs) And we invited a a young bloke from the Losman just to come and have dinner with us and we're all sitting there. Next minute we were surrounded by military police with their big guns drawn. And we sort of go, oh, my God, I think we're in trouble. Still quite oblivious that... What, why we were getting, we just assumed it was because we had a bit of smoke back at the Losman and they marched us back there and found it. We just sort of put it on, you know, 
no, that's all we've got because that was all that we did have right there. So they marched us all to the police station and separated us, obviously, and I got told, you're going to the airport to fly back to Australia. And I went, oh, I got out of that one easy, didn't I? But we're keeping the two men. They, they let the other guy go. They realised that he wasn't part of it. So I never saw him. That was it. Oh, oh, OK. Still thinking that it was only for the little bit of smoke that we had. I got to the airport, ready to, you know, checked in. Then I realised I had my partner's passport and all the travellers, because it was travellers' checks back in those days. And I just went, oh. oh. So on the way to the airport with the police person, because we were out in the middle of, God, I didn't know where I was, he stopped the car and pulled over and started to try and to pash on to me. Oh, no. And I got, oh, what's this man going to do? So I opened the door and I was just going to go for it. And he said, you must tell me what's going on and why are you doing this? And so I assume the Australian government weren't, and police weren't telling them what they wanted to know. And he stopped and dropped me at the airport. So I had a big meltdown because I still had my partner's passport. So I went up to the check-in desk and there was narcotics agents. And I said, oh, I've got Tom's passport. He's just been locked up and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I will make sure he gets it. And I jumped on the plane. Sort of, oh. oh God! How, how frightening! This is really terrifying. Totally freaked. All of it. Um, the plane was quite empty, so I was surrounded by narcotics agents. They didn't. They thought I don't know what they thought I was going to do, like jump out the plane or whatever. So I was still oblivious. I thought, oh, you know, it must be just because of the smoke. So they're keeping the two boys and got back to Australia. Went all the way through customs, just about to walk out that last door. And I got a little tap on the shoulder. And he had his, he said, oh, da, 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 would you like to come with me? And I said, oh, no, I'm right. <laughs> Thank you. I'm okay, thanks. Oh, I've got a couple of friends meeting me out the front. And he went, oh, don't worry about them, we've got them. Oh. Then the penny dropped. Oh. And I went, oh, my God, I think I'm in big trouble. So we got taken back to the... Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which was in Flinders Street, right in the city back then. And there was the other couple, of, there was three of them. And we all sort of looked at each other and went, I think we're in trouble. But we still sort of didn't really know what was going on because they weren't telling us anything. And they were asking me a lot of questions because I was the one over and I'm just, just playing, well, I was pretty dumb, so I was playing dumb. And then after a few hours, they said, right, you're all going to be charged with... Because there was no hooter, there was no marijuana, they had to figure out what to charge us with. So they obviously had their lawyer and they said, well, the only thing they could charge us with was conspiracy to import a prohibited substance, which they did, um, which was the first case in Australia that had ever... Happened. Was it? Yeah, which I was quite quite amazed at that. Yeah. Where was the gear? Where was the marijuana? Well, I it was either, I think there was still some in Sumatra because they couldn't get it all down to yeah. Bali and there was some on the plane on the tarmac. But that's when the Indonesian cops stepped in and went, no, you Australian, you aren't flying that back to Australia because they really wanted to get it back to Australia. And then there was the, the amount that had been skimmed. And then when the two blokes in Bali went to court, there was, oh, I think, 
my partner said there was about four kilos by the time I went to court. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. So a lot had gone, and missed, which was lucky for them because yes. that's what they got charged with, but they got screwed over there badly. But so you couldn't be done for any of it? Is that did you, you you could only be done for conspiracy? Yeah, yeah. And they, I always said, you know, why did you send me home? They said because the Indonesian government decided when they stepped in, they didn't want to know about a young woman locking her up in an Indonesian jail. Thank God. Very... I always think of Nicole Kidman in Bangkok Hilton. It's like my yardstick of terror. <sighs> well, oh, yeah, I think Chappelle been. Corby in Chappelle Corby. Yeah, yeah. jail. Yeah, yeah, I would have come out a very, very different person. What happened to the, the two guys who, who one of them was your boyfriend? Yep, they got five years. Okay. Did, probably did about four and a half, five years. They're both passed now, which is quite – they both passed of a very rare leukaemia. They both had the same leukaemia, which was quite oh. – it's quite bizarre. Yeah. Do you think they got it over there? Well, who knows? Don't know. How long did they have to wait for their case to even go to court in, in Indonesia? Oh, quite probably a, over a year. Yeah, so quite a, a long time. We got we got processed really, really quickly because it turned it was all political. Mm. It was when um, there were some big headlines when I was looking yes, up the newspaper archive. The federal bureau was under heaps of pressure to make lots of busts and nothing was happening, so they rubbed their little hands together. Right. But meanwhile in Indonesia, so Karabakan hadn't been built yet. They were in a well, different... Well, I don't think so, no. They definitely weren't there. They were in a different facility. Yeah. For a year before they even went to trial. Mm. Were you able to stay in touch with them or did you... No, no, no letters, no nothing. It wasn't till... Oh, actually my partner did start writing after, you know, probably, probably a year or so, but they just vanished. So the, I also had to go and tell his parents oh. <laughs> that their son wasn't coming home for a little while. Would they have been? They would have been one of the earliest cases of Australians in an Asian I'd say so. Asian yeah. prison. So that went um, it was obviously before Facebook and social yeah. media, but Bali was becoming very popular. Yeah, and there must have been in a lot of the Losmans there must have been notice boards. And people post put notices up. Go and visit these two blokes, these two Aussies. So they got. A huge amount of visitors needs to take them in because you could take your own food and you could take your own drugs as long as you could survive. They had money. Yep. They didn't care. So they were relatively mm. lucky because they could have been there, you know, a lot longer. Yeah. Were their parents able to go and visit them or did they? No, their parents basically they wiped them. Oh, no, really? So I went to the Australian embassy here. Also, and said there's, there's two Australians, so they just it, it all. They everyone pretended it wasn't happening because the Australian government had stepped in and said, "Listen, you know, the embassy's not getting involved." So it was actually the British embassy in Bali who looked after them, not the Australian embassy. They wouldn't even go and visit them. When they came home, did they renew ties with their family? Yes, well, sort of, yeah. But they both came back very, very different men. Did they? Yep. In what way? Like uh, health-wise, obviously. Um, health-wise, mental-wise, and they both got really bad drug addictions over there. Oh. Super bad. So worse than the, the oh, smoke yeah, but, that you yeah, were, yeah. Yep. And they were both very, very long-term users. After the break, I'm sure you'll be shocked to learn that Australia's news media exaggerated a little when they reported on Julia's case. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Coming up on Australian True Crime, the amazing twist in Julie's story. I wonder if you figured out what it might be yet. But first, to Julie's experience as a newly minted criminal. So I got sent, because all the boys were together in a watch house in Russell Street, and I got locked up in this, like it was just okay. It was like, you know, stepping back in time. We were all delegated to narcotics agents that sort of worked, you know, you had nice one and the not nice one. Oh, you know, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, bad oh, cop, yeah, yeah, really. And the nice cop was going, you've got to ring up your mum and dad and tell them, and I've got, you've got to be joking. <laughs> Hello, mum, I've just been busted and I'm in jail. Don't think so. Mm. Um, For drug importation. And the bad cop, funny, he got busted for importing marijuana many years no. later. Oh, my god! And he wrote a book called The Brown Tapes. No. Yes. Oh. So he was a bad cop. He was. So we all got charged with the same, and this is sort of where they bought themselves undone. So then they've got to set bail, and they decide. So I don't know who decides how much. So they set it at $3,000 each, which was a lot yeah. of goddamn money back then. Your parents wouldn't have been able to come up with that. Nope. No. Well, they didn't even know I was in jail yeah. at this stage. So I'm over there in the women's bit with this terrible prison guard woman who was. <laughs> anyway, I could hear the mother of one of the guys, and I knew it was this particular woman. And I said, oh, can I go and talk to her? And first she wouldn't let me. And then she said, oh, okay. And I just said to the mother, can you, this is my mum and dad's phone number, can you, because no, because no, 
the only people that knew I was locked up, they were locked up yeah. with me. I thought, God, I'm going to be here forever. I'm never going to be found again. So she said, yeah, yep. So they sort of knew of each other but had never been introduced or anything. So this other mother rang up my mum and dad and my mum answered the phone. So it was really, really late at night. And she said, your daughter's in the watch house. (laughs) You've got to go and bail her out. So apparently my mother just hit the deck and my dad got on the phone and went, oh, who's this? And she's in the watch house. So he was there like in a split second. I couldn't believe how quick it was. And he didn't have the money, obviously, so he rang his boss and his boss bailed me out. Oh. How re- he'd been with his work for a really, really long time. Um, and Good be- people. Yes. And because I got bailed on $3,000, they tried to set the boys at $9,000 each. But because we're all on the same charges, they couldn't. So they all got out. Oh, probably a couple of days later because that was like – so there was three of them. So that was like, you know, 9000 bucks we had to find to get him out. Can you imagine the embarrassment of your dad ringing his boss? His boss. What kind of business was it he worked at? Like, He was a confectioner. My daughter's in jail and I need $3,000. Bless him. What was the trial like? Was there a oh, lot of media there or yeah, like it packed, you it was know? packed with – Barristers, because it was the first conspiracy case. So my family, my family, and was there every day. Don't recall anyone else's family being. Oh, one of the other guys' family. Yes, they were because they were all really close. But it was packed with um, barristers because they were really interested how this was all going to go down. How can the cops do what they're doing and these people are getting into trouble for it? And I sort of like, I oh, know we broke the law, but we broke the law in over there, not here. Also, you hadn't broken the law before they started assisting no. you in breaking the if law. if they hadn't assisted us, we would not have left the country because we didn't have the money and we didn't have, we didn't know how to do so much and they just <laughs> said, well, you just go there and tell them that, yes, you can do this and they can, yeah, no, we'll do all this. And So as you said, very political, trying to make make an example or try and bolster the power of... Yes, we got busted on the Saturday morning and on the Sunday night news up on the screen, you know, so four or five young people busted importing and they showed this big stack of hash. Oh. I go, hang on, how yeah. can they do that? That's that wasn't your lot. hash? No. Yeah. My solicitor went to the TV station they denied it. They said, no, we didn't do that. So there's nothing that you can do. So it sounds like just a, a very big operation to... Screw us. Screw you. And also <laughs> to put young people off the idea of importing drugs, mm. right? They must have thought it Definitely. was an impending problem. Just starting to, be, you know, Nimbum was happening. Yeah. and yep. Your bail was revoked during the trial. Yes, so I got sent to Fairly. You got sent to Fairly Women's Prison, which is which now was, Dame Phyllis Frost. Oh, that was a bit yeah. horrific. Um, so you got taken there and I'm just going, oh, you know. I don't want to go. <laughs> Please, I just don't want to go. So, you know, you go through the gates and you go and you've got a shower and there was these two girls sitting like, oh, we know who you are. Watch your back in here. Like they just tell you, because this, this was on a Friday, so I was going to be there for the whole weekend. Got processed, you know, which takes hours and finally got put. So you were in wings. So you're in wings with other women, you weren't in actual cells. And luckily the wing they put me in, there was a 
a young woman who had been following the case and she just came up and befriended me, which was really, really nice. So she's, that's just what happens in those places. So she befriended me and looked after me basically. But then later I found out she was the girlfriend of the notorious escapee that was locked in, (laughs) locked in confinement. They didn't tell me that bit. Um, Yeah, so you just got locked up from, you know, probably five o'clock in the afternoon to seven o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. um, in the dorms and then just let out and I just remember being on kitchen duties. So it wasn't, know, as, bad, it wasn't as bad as the, the anxiety that you had? No, about, it wasn't. Yeah. No, I think because this girl decided she was going to, you know, yeah. be my buddy. Yeah. But I met the first woman murderer I'd ever met. She murdered her um, partner at the altar. He said, I don't want to marry you. <laughs> so she... Oh, my Murdered God. Him? At the altar? At the altar. Well, no, apparently a bit later she went okay. round and <laughs> did wow. him um, She was a bit, yep. they just said, just stay away from her. Mm-hmm. Um, the first woman bank robber, she was a really nice lady. <laughs> so there was, look, I reckon there was probably only 15 women in there at the time. There wasn't many. It wasn't big. But I remember my mum and dad coming to visit me and I go, oh, please get me out, please. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And then... So after a period of time, we, was it after your conviction that you ended up at Winlate and Girls? Yeah, so when the judge handed down his sentence, mm-hmm. well, we sort of pretty well knew by then that we're all going to get screwed. Um, well, I, was, I kept getting told that there is no way you will go to jail through the whole court case. Um, they're going to screw the boys, but there's no way they'll screw you. Mm-hmm. And my barrister... Because there was four of us and we all had individual barristers, my barrister said to me, look, there's no need for me to be there because there's these other three and you're all on the same charges. They'll look after you. So he went off and did this major bank robbery case in the courtroom next door. So he kept popping in and making sure. Um, He's getting paid for both, by the way. Yes, 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 of course. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like a tradie. He's got two jobs going at Yeah, that's (laughs) right. Just popping in and out. But he got his bank robber off, mind you. And then, yeah, so when the judge was summing up, he, I think he gave the boys, oh, one guy got off Mm. because he actually did have nothing to do with it. He just gave my partner and I the money to do it. Um, So he got acquitted. The two boys and myself got, well, I think they both got five years. And then it came to me and I thought, and he said, um, you're sentenced to two years, but in a youth training centre. And I sort of well, I wonder what that meant. I had no idea what that meant. Um, he said win late because it was only win late and then. And um, that does sound pretty lucky, not having oh, been oh. to win late myself, so that anyone who has been there is probably screaming at their whatever they're using right now, their phone or their car or whatever. But because I'm thinking you're 20 by now, are you? Yes, yeah. I would have been. So I'm thinking. I was oh. very lucky. And I was over 18, so that was. But I do know that Wynne Leighton, for example, I know that it was named in the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. Oh, yeah, it was. Okay, so I know it was no picnic. No. So they had a remand bit, which yeah. was outside. the. So they had a fenced area and there was all the dorms in there. It was three dorms. So one was for the sentenced chicks, as they called them. The next <laughs> one was for the. They were all water state, so I didn't. So I didn't even know that that exists. I didn't even know what a water state was back then. Yeah, so, you know, just thought they were just naughty boys and girls. And then the other one was for 
um, really young, young chicks who were water states who had been sexually abused. Mm. Poor little and girls. The remand centre, that, but that was like a locked lockdown. And then when late in the actual homestead, that was for when you're a good girl, after a certain amount of time in the walled area, you got put in there if you were still in. So I spent most of my time in the main house, which was nice. Gosh, what did you do in there as a 20-year-old in the I youth cut. training centre? So the first night I spent there and they all muck up because you're this older girl and my mum came the next day and I said, oh, please send me back to Fairley. <laughs> can't cope because I'm all really young. And yeah. I, got, I was probably there for about a week and I got called to the office. I thought, oh, God, here we go. The only person that had ever been there for marijuana because it was all water state and all bank. A couple of chicks had done robberies and they were sentenced and... Said, you know, you're not to talk about any of what happened to the young, to the girls, because we, you know, don't give just, them ideas. Don't give yeah. them ideas, and I'm like, oh, they're going to, you know, they're going to, you're not allowed to say anything. That was with the head. Oh, I don't know what they were called. She was. They weren't screws, but the, the women who looked after you. And then I got called into the deputy superintendent's office, and she said to me, "Look, bitter." I've been following your case. Turned out her husband was a top barrister, and he'd been in the he'd been in the courtroom every day following it. And she said, "I want you to come and work in my office and be my secretary." Oh, and you had the skills. Oh. That's like the top job to get if yeah. you're in a prison, isn't well, it? Well, according when to Orange is the New Black. That's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what oh, Tasty got. Yeah, yeah, Tasty did get I was, that. Um, and then she took me in to see um, meet the superintendent, who was a, a bloke, and he was. Really, really nice man. He used to be the superintendent at Malmesbury. And they said, look, you know, we're obviously putting a lot of trust in you because I, so I had access to everyone's files. A lot of the staff weren't real pleased with this inmate, inmate. Mm. <laughs> working in the office. So I had my own little desk and I wasn't interested in why other girls were in there, but obviously he got to read. Yeah. Um, but it was all, obviously all very confidential. And after the three months inside the locked bit, they sent me to the main house. And, yeah, and I still went up and did that. So that was much. So you could literally walk out the front gate. So it was very open. So I got weekend leave after six weeks. So I could get out on the weekend and go and do whatever, which I did. Um, come back on Sunday. I mean, you're an adult. It's so, yeah, it's such a yeah. weird scenario. You're yeah, an adult. It was, it was quite bizarre. So I got sentenced to 12 months. Oh, no, two years, but I did 12 months and they paroled me for a year. Probably the last three months I was allowed to go out and get a job mm. to go back into society, which I did. Were you just living with your parents at that stage? No, no, I went and lived with... Yeah, I must have went home, but I don't think it was for very long. Mm. I think then I went and lived with the new fella. How did you meet the new fella? He was a friend beforehand, just in a big group. Mm-hmm. I was starting to get on weekend leave, and I used to go to a girlfriend's place, and he was always there. Yeah. So it just, you know, happened. Happens. <laughs> life happens. Yeah, life happens. You went back to life and you had your daughter and Tom and I were writing yeah because right, okay. back then you wrote letters yeah. <laughs> yeah. did you reconnect yes yeah. we did he was over there I met the new fella got with him had a baby and then my daughter was probably about five and we reconnected and we stayed together for probably 30 nearly 40 years with Tom passed. yeah with Tom I was thinking you wouldn't have seen each other again. No, no, we reconnected. So the day he got back to Australia, he came to see me 
and my daughter was literally just born, so he sort of stepped back because he knew that I was in this new relationship. But we both, it was unsaid, but we both knew one day we would be back together. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, I'm so glad. Our, we were just soulmates or what, you know, whatever you yeah. want to call us. But, yeah, no, we spent our rest of our life together, babe. well, the rest of his life together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Goodness. And the other guy also reconnected with his lady. Which oh, was, for um, the rest of his life? Yes. Yeah, but oh. she she died before he did, which was a shame. She had a um, heart attack mm. suddenly. When did Tom pass away? 2007. So it's mm. long and ago now. And he had leukaemia. Yep. Rare. We didn't know about. Yeah. He was really sick and we didn't. Well, he was oblivious. Everyone was oblivious. We had a really bad bushfire in 2007. I was up at Myree, which is just around the corner from Moihu, mm-hmm. um, which is south of Wangaratta, and he literally collapsed. And I thought, good timing. Um, anyway, he got carted off and they said, oh, you know, it's pretty sick. They did a whole lot of tests. They found out he had a rare leukaemia and he only had three months to live. Jeez. He lasted two. Oh. Did you have kids with Tom? No. Oh, yeah, we did, but she died. So we never went there again because it was very traumatic, as you would imagine. Yeah, and you'd been through um, so much trauma. Yeah, and he just said, I can't do that again. And we had my our, my daughter from the other fella and she we brought her up basically. Yeah. So I, we all lived. So her dad, myself, my daughter and Tom all lived together for many years. You are not hippie, in a relationship. Yeah. You old hippies, you <laughs> hippies. never change. And I'm, I'm glad. At the time, and she still speaks of it very fondly that that was a really, really good time in her life. From what you've said about the way he came home, it can't have been easy. He must have had issues, oh, P- PTSD issues. and lots of issues. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, which you, you mentioned that a lot in your podcast. And yeah. I've always thought, oh, I've never even thought of that. Oh, but yeah. though, both of those would have big time, which oh, never obviously yeah. wouldn't have got dealt with. No. 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 But it was worth it, obviously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we moved up the country, 2000. My daughter met her partner at uni. She went up there because he was from there, Wangaratta, and we were her base while she was at uni, and we thought, well, now what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> we'll all go up. So we all, and even my dad went up too. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. Only surviving parent. Mm. So we took him up and yeah. got a little house that I actually live in now. <sighs> It'd be peaceful. <laughs> well, it is. It's lovely. You sort of lie there and you go, listen to that. It's People gorgeous. go, what are you listening to? Oh, nothing. <laughs> oh, you're talking me into it. Sounds beautiful. It's nice. Has your experience, did it come up through the years? Did people, did you ever get follow-ups from the media trying to no. find out what happened to this No, no other than the Digger, the Digger paper, which was the alternative paper back in the olden days, early 70s. They were the only ones interested. There was a, probably a few snippets in the Sun or the Herald mm. back in those days. Because I know there was, you know, cases, obviously, that people getting picked up for drug trafficking, but then there was the case with Charles Sabrage, who was the serial yes. killer in India, and there was a Australian nurse called Mary Ellen Ether, and she was Australian, and she got jailed, and she was sort of in his thrall, I suppose. There was a, a bit of publicity about her, but I don't know what's happened to Mary Mary Ellen, but I always think of you know, young women, Australian women, getting caught up in these problems. And you, and went- I don't think it got picked up on because I reckon the government and the and the narcotics bureau said, right, that's you know, it was a big story. 
yeah. back in the yeah. Oh yeah, it was, it was a big story, but it seems to have been very close, quiet. Yeah, yeah, very closely controlled. Controlled. Monitored, yeah. Yes, definitely. One of the other blokes that I'm still in contact. That's why I've got these notes because. I spoke to him and so him and I are really, really still really close, which is nice. My, the other guy, he's up north, but they both went to Beechworth Prison and they it was just okay. They had to like pee in buckets and they didn't have a toilet in their cells or nothing. Really? Oh, yeah. It was just still. I stayed at Beechworth at the oh. old lunatic asylum, like oh, in the old nurses' quarters. Yes. It's actually incredible. It's very like it's, weird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's weird and yeah. you do ghost tours. It's really creepy. In, that was in criminally sane people, so yeah, it's, some of the stuff yeah. that went down there. How long did they end up doing? Five years. They did their five? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they didn't get paroled. So that was another government thing. So they were obviously a bit more lenient on me because I was a sweet, mm. innocent young girl. God, how times have changed, they, hey. How did those guys go afterwards with life, you know, like really getting good, out? Really good, actually, yeah. yeah. One married and he's gone up north to live and had kids. The other one works with street kids in Footscray. Wow. God, Viet- for a bunch Vietnamese. of filthy hippies uh, who try to import drugs, you turned out to be <laughs> really nice people who've oh, contributed a lot you. to society, oh, exactly. haven't you? Yeah. I've only told two people that I was coming, so because my daughter... Yesterday we buried a very dear friend, a very dear friend who had a heart attack and he came home to my place because he lives by himself so I could look after him and he up and died on us a couple of weeks ago at my house. So it's been a really full couple of weeks. So she said, I'll come over today. And I said, I can't, I've got an appointment down in Melbourne. And she's going, oh, what? And I go, I've got it because everyone's always telling you, go go on, you know, what is it? When you get dates. You know, and you swipe left. Oh, and Tinder! Oh, Tinder. Thank you. <laughs> See, I'm hopeless. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> when you're single, everyone says get on Tinder. Oh, yeah, God. I know. Look, you know, we live in Wangaratta for God's sake. <laughs> Exactly, yeah, you'll know everyone. You know everyone. Yeah. You won't swipe on a guy and then you'll see him down at the... Oh, yeah, 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 she'll know like, everyone oh. on there. Oh, God, that's the plumber. Oh, God. Also, most the- people in Wangaratta know absolutely nothing about my life pre-Wangaratta. Why I started this is because I've always said I'm going to write a book when I retire. Yeah, wonderful. Do you think you will? Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we 
love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.